Good morning. Today's reading is from Matthew 6, verses 5 through 13. Let's hear the word of the Lord. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good to be back with you all. I always miss you when I'm when I'm away. I uh, I had a good couple of weeks. I was backpacking in Yosemite with um, my college friends. Do you all know? I I know some of you know because we've been talking about it recently. But do you all know that we have a goofy name for this trip and that we call it Mother? Have we talked about this before? Uh, it's in, uh, there's a reason why we haven't talked about it. It's embarrassing. Um, <laughs> But that's, so I just, so I say, I got back from Mother, and it was a great trip. Yosemite is a beautiful place. Um, it's, it's no lie when you hear it. It's, it's actually remarkable. So we were there, and then I went up, and I met with Libby and the boys and her family in Oregon, uh, on the coast in Seaside, Oregon, and we celebrated Don and Sandy's 50th anniversary, 50 years. Um, that's a long time to be married. And that was wonderful. And Libby and the boys were supposed to be back last night late and supposed to be here this morning, but they missed their flight. And so I don't know if they're going to be joining us, maybe in time for lunch. Maybe. So last Sunday, Oldson, you all, by the way, um, I've been on a few Sundays, and you all have heard some great sermons while I've been away. And um, I've listened to all of them, and just each time was praising God for um, those good gifts. Uh, Oldson last week looked at the opening of the Lord's Prayer, and I want to follow his lead and spend two more weeks on it, this Sunday and next Sunday. And then, if you, if you want just a preview of coming attractions, then we're going to go into Ecclesiastes, uh, which is a really challenging book and a dark book, and we're going to be in it for um, a big chunk of the fall, and then just when you feel like all hope is lost, uh, <laughs> then, then we're going to do a deep dive on uh, the Christian virtue of hope. And, so, and that will coincide, or at least overlap with Advent. Uh, so that's kind of, kind of the tentative plan. We, we always hold these things loosely. But anyway, uh, this morning, uh, we're going to look at this prayer again. I wonder, I wonder what your relationship with this prayer is like, with the Lord's Prayer. You know, most of us probably haven't memorized, which is a good thing. Uh, but the danger, of course, is that having it memorized, the words can just become words that we 
mumble with no real engagement. They become words that we say, but we don't really pray. And, and so it's important for us to remember what's going on here. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, how to be in relationship with his heavenly father. And, and this is what he gives them. I mean, that's remarkable. His disciples ask him, like, teach us how to pray. And, and this is what he gives them. I mean, he could have said anything. But he says this. And so this must be pretty important. It's like we won't know how to pray as Christians without this prayer. You know, the vast majority of people on the planet pray. But Jesus is showing us that there's a difference between uh, prayer in general and Christian prayer. Disciples pray in particular ways for particular things. And so last week, Oldson focused on the petition, hallowed be your name. And this morning, I just want to look at this next phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and let's just ask some questions of this. Like, what are we being asked to pray for? And, and then why? Like, what's the point of praying for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done? And then um, we'll just ask, how can we be people who actually pray like this? So what and, and why and how? So, so what are we praying for when we pray for God's kingdom to come? When you think of a kingdom, what comes to mind? Castles, yes, me too. What else? Kings, castles, kings, what else? Swords, of course. Uh, yeah, I see your hand. Did you say clowns? Crowns. I was thinking court jesters. I was trying to work with you. Yeah. Um, crowns. Yeah. And then something over here. Royalty. Yeah. Peasants, yeah. So a lot of us think like Middle Ages, and we, and we have like probably images conjured up. Um, the way we usually use the word kingdom, uh, we're often talking about like a place, right? And, and, and all of the things that go along with that place, castles and horses and knights in shining armor and crowns and kings and all that. Uh, in the New Testament, the word kingdom is actually more about activity. It's more about activity than it is about place. And so it might be better to translate it as rain, not, not precipitation, but rain as in rule. That'd be another good way to translate it, rule. Or even kingship might be better. And so, for example, um, think about this. Like when Jesus shows up in the beginning of the gospel according to Mark and he says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near. What he's not saying is that some place that was far off previously, has now come close. He's saying that, that now God is asserting his rule in a new way in and through his own ministry. The true king has come and is ready to rule. And, and so what are we praying for when we pray for, for um, this king to rule? Well, on one hand, this is a prayer that orients us toward the future, um, if you were listening to the lyrics that we were singing earlier, this came through in at least one of our songs, maybe a couple of them. But um, whenever, we, whenever we take this prayer upon our lips, we are orienting ourselves toward the future and we're praying for Jesus to return and to bring the fullness of his kingdom, like the peace and the justice and the beauty and the human flourishing that we long for in all dimensions of life. We, we long and yearn for Jesus' return. And so part of praying this prayer is, is praying, come Lord Jesus and bring your kingdom. It's a prayer that, that really 
um, has us looking forward to what's to come and, and longing for it, like desiring the, retur the return of the true king. But at the same time, and this is a tension that actually runs through Jesus' teaching about the kingdom in the New Testament, um, at the same time, the kingdom has already come. It's already breaking in. And, and so we want, as people who follow Jesus, we want um, the world to reflect the values and priorities of the kingdom, not only uh, in some future time, but no, right here and right now. Like we, we want to experience the inbreaking rule and reign of God here and now. And so the prayer is right here, right now, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, we're, we're saying we want God's uh, kingdom to become more and more a present reality as individuals and as communities submit themselves to God's gracious rule. Wesley Hill puts it like this. He says that in praying this, we're praying, Father, make your healing reign more and more tangible and visible in our world. Let your rule assert itself ever more concretely in the places where sickness and injustice and oppression and evil still seem to have the upper hand. I think that's, that's so good. That's, that's right. That's what we're praying for. And so it's not a prayer um, for escape Notice we're not saying, Lord, get us out of here and into your kingdom. It's bring your rule here, right here, right now, as it is in heaven. It's a prayer for this world's transformation, for this world more and more to reflect God's values and priorities. It's, it's a prayer, family, um, for this world's healing and renewal. And so when we take this prayer upon our lips and we really pray this, um, it ought to put us in touch with the ways that we and the world are out of alignment with the values and priorities of God's kingdom. Praying, it forces us to attend to the ways God's kingdom is just not as visible as we want it to be. David Wells says it like this. He says, this prayer only flourishes where there is a twofold belief. You've got to believe these two things. First, that God's kingdom has come too little. And his will is done too infrequently. That's the first thing to believe. Second, that God himself can change the situation. He says, this prayer, therefore, is the expression of the hope that life as we meet it, on the one hand, ought to be otherwise, and on the other hand, that it can be otherwise. And I wonder, family, if you believe that. That your life and the life of the world ought to be otherwise, and at the same time, it can be otherwise. I don't know about you, but a lot of times, I find it a lot easier to believe that things should be different than that things can be different. I have a harder time believing that, that real change is possible. But Jesus is inviting us as his followers to to just embrace standing in the gap between the way things are and the way we know things are supposed to be and crying out for his kingdom to come. To pray for God to have his way in our bodies, uh, in our marriages, in our friendships, in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our congregation, 
in our country, in our, in our world. It's not easy to find things that we know ought to be different. Sometimes it's harder to believe that they can be different. I don't think Jesus would teach us to pray for his kingdom to come if he didn't have every intention of letting it come, bringing it, actually um, creating the change, bringing the change that we cry out for. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I wonder where some of you have lost hope. Like you know it ought to be different, but you've just lost hope that it can be different. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's a prayer for you to pray. So that's what we're praying for. Praying for, for Jesus to bring his rule and reign to bear in new ways in our lives and the life of the world. Um, why do we pray for this? Why does Jesus tell us to pray for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done? I figure there must be a lot of reasons, but I want to highlight again something that Oldson pointed out last week. Um, just because I think it's so important, and it was a, I, I needed to hear it, and, and maybe you need to hear it again. Um, praying for God's kingdom to come and will to be done has a way of like radically decentering us. Uh, like the prayer orients us away from ourselves and toward God. And gosh, I know I need that because um, my default my default mode is thinking that I'm at the center of my story. And I bet that that's your default mode too. Like you think you're the most important thing going on in your life. And it's not true. It's not true, but we believe it. Um, and, and so this prayer just, it wants to radically um, decenter us, get us out of the center and put God in the center. That's how life is meant to be lived. Um, too often we're entirely preoccupied with our own little kingdoms, totally absorbed uh, in having our own wills done. And, and so often, it's that orientation, um, that self-centeredness, that drives our prayer lives. Like, we use prayer as a tool to accomplish our wills, and our prayers are self-focused and self-serving. And, and so often, we dive into praying for what we want without even thinking about what God has revealed to us about what God wants. And, and so now, Jesus teaches us to lay, um, or, excuse me, like, he does teach us to lay all of our needs before him. Like, there is a place for that in prayer. We'll look, we'll look at that more next week, that petition, give us today what we need, our daily bread. Um, but this comes first, your will be done. Otherwise, what happens? Well, then we're just treating God as a means to whatever, to whatever end we've already determined to be the best one for ourselves. Rather than treating God as a loving father who cares for us, and wants us to be like in close, intimate relationship with him and to trust him and to love him with our lives. And, and so Jesus is, is teaching us that um, the main point of prayer is not to get things from God. It's to be in relationship with our Father. Um, we go to him not primarily because of what he can do for us, but because of who he is. We don't treat him as as a means to some other end, but we treat God as a means in himself. Like the relationship itself is the most important thing. Um, one way to think about this is to realize that when we pray, when we pray as Jesus teaches us to pray, it's like the greatest gift that God wants to give us is already ours. It's just communion with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
I mean, have you ever thought about that? That God doesn't give us anything greater in prayer than the gift of being able to come into his presence as his adopted children. That's it. Like, like what more do you want? Like, if you had to choose between new job, um, communion with the triune God of grace, or, or a, a new car, um, relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, like, you know that one is better than the other. Like, and, and that gift is already yours in the act of praying this prayer. Do you see that? Um, God himself is what we're after. We pray for for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done, not because we want something other than God, but because we want God. And so now let's just ask, how can we have the power? Like, how how can we actually pray this prayer? Um, Because praying for God's will to be done instead of your own will to be done that can, that can feel a little dicey. Can, it can feel a little threatening. It means, it means radically submitting yourself to someone else, and that's pretty uncomfortable. Do any of you like really love roller coasters? Yeah, like five of you. <laughs> um, maybe some of the best prayers in the room. I mean, I, I hate roller coasters. Uh, I know as soon as I get on a roller coaster and those bars come down over my shoulders, like, from that point on, the roller coaster's will is going to be done. <laughs> and, like, because uh, I've submitted myself to it, and so it's, it's the boss of me. And if I want to slow down and it doesn't want to slow down, well, then we're not slowing down. And if I want to go right, but it really wants to go left, well, I'm going left with it. Most of us know that when we get into a roller coaster, we're not going to be the ones to control the roller coaster. But I wonder how many of us are still trying to control God when we pray. Chances are, you and I not being God, that God's will is going to differ from ours here and there. <laughs> so he might not give us what we feel like we need. And he might give us what we don't want at all. And we might have to go through stuff that we'd rather avoid, and we might have to miss stuff that we would much rather experience. And I wonder, can you trust a God like that? It's really difficult to pray, your will be done, if you don't trust God. It's easy enough to say the words, It's easy enough to tack the words onto the end of any old prayer. But it's hard to pray it. What is the desire of our hearts? (laughs) Like often it's that our wills would be done and that God would make sure our wills be done. Or maybe we pray for God's will to be done, but only after we've convinced ourselves that God's will and our will are pretty much exactly one and the same then it's easy to pray your will be done because then it's just my will being done. And it also happens to be God's will. How can we trust this God so that we can really not just say these words but pray these words? Um, Let me point us in a couple of directions that that might help. First, um, remember who the prayer is addressed to. Remember who it's addressed to. Jesus teaches us to pray our Father. That's That's so important to see. 
Like we're not praying to a capricious and personal force that might bless us one day and that might curse us the next day. Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father. And, and, and what that means, family, is that you don't have to worry about whether or not this God will be attentive to you. You don't have to worry about whether or not he's eager to receive you. Um, there are no hoops to jump through when you pray. Like, you are free to really approach God, not on the basis of, of anything you do or have to provide. I mean, I, think, I take that to be Jesus' point when he's saying, like, don't be like the hypocrites who feel like they have to pray in really public, showy ways, or don't be like the Gentiles who just heap up words and words and words because they think that if they can just pray enough words, then God will listen to them. No, Jesus says, you have a father. You have a father in heaven who loves you and who is so eager to hear your prayer, who is so eager to receive you. He is a good father, and so you can approach him not on the basis of anything about you or your prayer, but just on the basis of who he is. That's an extraordinary gift we have. Um, this one knows what you need better than you do. He knows what you need better than you do. He knows better than you do um, what opportunities, like what will give you opportunities to grow in ways that you need to grow. He knows better than you do how much you can handle and how much will just be too much. Um, trust him. You have a loving father who is absolutely committed to taking care of you. But you might think, oh, really? <laughs> then what's going on with this mess of a life I have? <laughs> um, we need to see how our Father is committed to caring for us. And so let me turn your, your um, attention um, to another who might help with trust. You have a, you have a loving Father... And you also have a faithful king. You know, right before Jesus was betrayed and arrested, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, just outside Jerusalem. And, and you remember he prayed. He prayed in the garden, and he prayed really an amazing prayer. He said, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. And then you remember what he says, what he prays. He says, yet not as I will, but as you will. Wesley Hill points out that in Greek, the wording of the Lord's Prayer and the wording of Jesus' anguished cry in the garden, they're identical. Jesus is praying, your will be done. And remember what he's talking about. Uh, he knows what lies ahead of him. He knows that he's going to be crucified. And, and there's no question that, that the crucifixion would have been gruesome and horrible, but that's not what Jesus Praise. He doesn't say, let the crucifixion pass from me. He's talking about the cup. And, and what's that about? Well, remember, that's, that's a reference to God's fierce, relentless opposition to sin and evil. And Jesus knows that while he's on the cross, like he is going to drink the cup of God's wrath like down to the dregs. And so Jesus is in the garden and he's laying the desires of his heart out before his father. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Like, that's Jesus' desire. That's what he wants. 
That's his will. Like it is a deep desire of Jesus' heart that he could avoid that. But there's another even deeper desire in his heart. He says, yet not as I will, but as you will. And Jesus wasn't just saying those words. He was really praying them. Your will be done. And because he was really praying it and not just saying it, you see, in that moment, his will and the Father's will were perfectly united. They were one and the same. Like, if the Father's will is done from that point on, Jesus' will is being done. And if Jesus' will is done, the Father's will is done. Their wills are united in that prayer because Jesus has so submitted himself to the Father's will. And you know this, the same is true for you, that when you really pray your will be done, like your will is transformed. It becomes the will of God. Jesus had his prayer answered in what I've heard called the language of the facts. I think, I think that might be Karl Barth, the language of the facts. I don't remember. I didn't take the time to Google it. Heather, David? <laughs> um, there's no voice from heaven. There's no clouds parting. There's no dove descending. Jesus, Jesus prays the prayer and there's silence. And then, um, and then the soldiers come and he's arrested and he's taken away and he's um, tried and he's beaten and he's crucified. The cup did not pass from him and the Father's will was done. And so Jesus' prayer was answered. And we confess as a church that this same Jesus is not lying dead somewhere in a tomb, but is risen from the dead. That was perfect. <laughs> it's perfect the first time. Um, but we, we shouldn't jump to the resurrection too quickly. Um, because there is really incredible darkness between Good Friday and um, Easter Sunday. Jesus trusted that his father who loved him would raise him from the dead. And Jesus was also a human being like you and like me. Did he know that the father would raise him from the dead? I mean, if he did, he knew it in the way that any of us could know it. Just... It was like the knowledge that faith brings. It was just the knowledge of trust. In other words, he really had to trust the Father. He had to hand his life completely over to the Father's will, trusting that in the end, whatever happened would work out for his good. And he did it. He did it. And family, can you see that this is how your Father in heaven perfectly cares for you? Um, he, he perfectly cares for you by giving you this faithful king, by giving you Jesus himself, by giving, by giving us this one who lives for us, who prayed like this for us, who drank the cup for us, who died for us, um, who defeated sin and death for us once and for all, who was raised from the dead for us, who even now 
in some mysterious way that I don't understand, is seated at the right hand of God the Father and is praying for us. Even right now, Jesus Christ is praying for you. And this is how God brings his kingdom. This is his will being done. And so, when it's hard to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, because it's hard to trust, remember your loving Father. Remember your faithful King. And then don't just say it. Don't just say it. Don't just mumble it in some rote way. Pray it. Make this prayer your prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. As it, on earth as it is in heaven. Let me pray for us and then we'll come to the table.